is the WTF Bach Podcast. The podcast about Johann Sebastian Bach, brought to you by his prodigal son, WTF Bach. Join WTF Bach as he guides your mind through a contrapuntal journey. Why don't you let WTF Bach guide you? And now, here's WTF Bach. WTF Bach here. It is I, Evan Shinners. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast that is the podcast playing in 90 countries in the last 24 months, with still 1.45% of my listeners listening in unknown lands. So, hello again, all my listeners in lands unknown. Today, I'm going to read a few excerpts from a book from a book from a book called The New Bach Reader. The New Bach Reader is an expanded edition of a book which first appeared in 1945 called simply The Bach Reader. This was a book compiled and edited by Hans T. David and Arthur Mendel, and it represented a sort of new way of writing a biography about a composer, which was, well, not to write one at all, but simply let the reader put the biography together himself. How would that be done? Well, simply by taking every document known about Bach from or very shortly after his life and compiling them, printing it. In the words of the editors of the Bach Reader, the figure of Bach is revealed in his own words, in the testimony of his contemporaries and in the judgments of the generations immediately succeeding his own. Fifty years after this initial effort, after the Bach reader, since a lot of scholarship emerges within a half a century, it was Bach scholar Christoph Wolf, whom I interviewed in season one of this podcast, who revised and enlarged the Bach reader, and it is now called the New Bach Reader. Now, I've spoken about this book on my podcast before. I recommend this book not only to lovers of Bach, but to people who are curious about what life was like some 300 years ago for it's full of letters, receipts, newspaper notices, records of baptisms, weddings, funerals, you'll soon see. And I really love the ornate language that's used in even the simplest interactions. It shows how much care people took, how much time they had. Like, here's one. Here's a receipt Bach gave his liquor tax collector in 1743. Bach's receipt to the liquor tax collector. This is number 233 in the New Bach Reader. That I have duly received from Mr. Christian Frederick Heinrichi, regularly appointed assessment and liquor tax collector of his royal majesty in Poland and his serene electoral highness in Saxony in accordance with the electoral Saxon regulation of November 9th, 1646, for the period from low Sunday 1742 to the same 1743, the tax amount for three barrels at 40 groschen, making altogether five taler, say five taler in legal tender coins. This I herewith acknowledge and with due thanks give a receipt for the same. Low Sunday, 1743 at Leipzig, signed Johann Sebastian Bach. Now there is another almost identical receipt to another liquor tax collector also in this volume that would have been three barrels of beer. Beer was safer than water in those days, but what else did he eat? What else did he drink? Well, here's a receipt from an inn in Halle, a town in eastern Germany, H-A-L-L-E, where Bach had an audition, an audition he later turned down, actually. The inn was called the Golden Ring. And here we have expenses, Mr. Pach, P-A-C-H, that's the innkeeper, either scrawling in haste or misspelling Bach's name, has incurred. For food, two taler, 16 groschen. For beer, 18 groschen. For brandy, 8 groschen. For heat, one taler, 4 groschen. For lodging and light, two taler. For tobacco, 4 groschen. Making a total of 
Seven Taler and Two Groschen, signed Johann Sebastian Bach and J.H. Erberhardt. Now, if we are to take those expenses into today, or I suppose 2000 is the nearest year that I have, that's $192 for food, $54 for beer, $24 for brandy, $84 for heat. The lodging and light was $144, and that's $12 worth of tobacco. So we can imagine that Bach was warm, eating and drinking and smoking quite well. Though that was probably not all during one meal, one day even, probably spread out over a few days. But we do know, actually, of one meal that Bach had, the menu from a dinner in 1716, where Bach dined in the same city, actually, Halle. But now three years later, Bach would have been about 31 years old, and he was examining an organ there, a new organ, after which the most worshipful council ate, now here's number 60 in the new Bach reader, one piece of boeuf a la mode, pike with a sardelle bleu, one smoked ham, one dish of peas, one dish of potatoes, two dishes of spinach and chicory, one roast quarter of mutton, boiled pumpkin, fritters, preserved lemon rind, preserved cherries, warm asparagus salad, lettuce, radishes, fresh butter, roast veal. I love that. Sunday, May 3rd, 1716, we know what Bach had for dinner, and it was that rather lavish menu. And at these organ inspections that Bach did all his life, traveling to a town to inspect the organ, what were these inspections like? Well, that particular organ in Halle seemed to be mostly well-built. But earlier in 1708, when Bach was a mere 23 years old, he was the organist at St. Blaise's Church in Mülhausen, and he writes the following review of that organ. And look at how, in addition to being such an insane virtuoso and composer, he also knew so well how to build and how these organs were constructed. Here's number 31 in the new Bach reader. One. The lack of wind must be made up by the addition of three good new bellows to take care of the Oberwerk, and the Rook Positive, and the new Prustwerk. Two. The four old bellows now present must be adapted with stronger wind pressure to the new 32-foot sub-bass and the other bass stops. Three. The old wind chests must all be taken out and freshly supplied with such wind conduction that one stop alone and also all the other stops together can be used without alteration of the pressure, which has never been possible in the past and yet is very necessary. Four, then follows the 32-foot sub-bass, or the so-called Untersatz of wood, which gives the whole organ the most solid foundation. This stop must now have its own wind chest. 5. The trombone bass must be supplied with new and larger pipes, and the mouthpieces must be quite differently arranged so that this stop can produce a much more solid tone. 6. The new chimes, desired by the parishioners not to be added to the pedal, consisting of 26 bells of 4-foot tone, which bells the parishioners will acquire at their own expense, and the organ builder will install them. 7. As regards the upper manual instead of the trumpet, which will be taken out, a fagotto of 16-foot tone will be installed, which is useful in all kinds of new ideas and sounds very fine in concerted music. 8. Further in place of the gem's horn, which likewise is to be taken out, there is to be a viol de gamba, 8-foot, which will concord admirably with the 4-foot salicinal, already included in the rook positive item instead of the 3-foot quinta, which is also to be taken out. 9. A three-foot nazet could be installed. The other stops now included in the upper manual can remain. 
as also the entire rook positive, although all of these must be tuned again anyway in the course of the repairs. 10. Now, as far as the most important matter is concerned, the new little brust positive, the following stops could be included in it. In front, three diapasons, namely, and then he names one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sets of pipes, which could be put in the brist positive, and then says 11, between the manuals of this brist positive and the oberwork, there must be a couplet, and finally, in addition to a complete tuning of the whole organ, the tremulant must be regulated so that it flutters at the proper rate. So I love that. The thoroughness with which Bach examines his instruments and his mastery of the construction of the build and knows exactly how to fix, what to fix, a very methodical man, as if you couldn't tell by his compositions. But he not only reviewed organs, he also reviewed people. He wrote letters of recommendation for his students. Here's a favorable one. This is document number 134. It is a testimonial for a student named Friedrich Gottlieb Wild, Bach's testimonial on behalf of Wild. Whereas Mr. Friedrich Gottlieb Weil, candidate juris, is noted musician, has asked for the undersigned to furnish him with a letter of recommendation concerning his achievements in his studies as well as concerning the noble art of music. Accordingly, I have thought it no more than my Christian duty to testify to the fact that the said Monsieur Wilde, during the four years that he has lived here at the university, has always shown himself to be diligent and hardworking in such a manner that he has not only helped to adorn our church music with his well-learned accomplishments on the flute traversier and the clavecin, but also has taken special instruction from me in the clavier, thorough bass, and the fundamental rules of composition based thereupon, so that he may, on any occasion, be heard with particular approval by musicians of attainment. I consider him, by virtue of his conduct in this and other respects, worthy of all encouragement, and add my wish that this sincere and conscientious testimonial may be of use to him in securing the advancement he deserves. Johann Sebastian Bach, Kapellmeister to the print of Anhalt Curtin and director Cori Musik Leipzinus, Leipzig, May 18th, 1727. Herr Wild, Mr. Wild, must have been very pleased with such a letter, and that is quite a way to go down in history from Mr. Bach. But how would you feel if your name was somehow associated with Bach in an unfavorable light? Well, that's the fate of some 11-odd young boys applying for the St. Thomas School in Leipzig, where Bach was the music director. There's a letter from the school board chairman mentioning Bach's opinion of the applying boys' musical abilities. And then, Exhibit B, Bach's written review from 1729. This is number 142 in the new Bach reader, Bach's report. Quote, the boys who wish to be admitted to fill the present vacancies in the school of St. Thomas as resident students are as follows. 1. Those who can be used in music. Sopranos. Christoph Friedrich Meissner of Weissenfels, aged 13 years, has a good voice and a fine proficiency. Johann Tobias Krebs of Butstedt, aged 13 years, has a good strong voice and fine proficiency. Samuel Kittler of Belgern, aged 13 years, has a fairly strong voice and good proficiency. Johann Heinrich Hillmeier of Gerdingswald, aged 13, has a strong voice as well as a good proficiency. Johann August Lanvoit of Gaschwitz, aged 13 years, has a passable voice. His proficiency is fair. Johann Andreas Köping of Großboden, aged 14 years, has a fairly strong voice. His proficiency is mediocre. 
Johann Gottlieb Kraus of Großdeuben, aged 14 years, whose voice is somewhat weak and proficiency indifferent. Johann Georg Legg of Leipzig, aged 13 years, whose voice is somewhat weak and proficiency slight. Altos. Johann Gottfried Neuke of Grima, aged 14 years, has a strong voice and quite fine proficiency. Gottfried Christoph Hoffmann of Nebra, aged 16 years, has a passable alto voice, but his proficiency is still rather poor. Notice how it sort of gets worse and worse, and then we have part two, those who have no musical accomplishments. Johann Tobias Dietzel, Gottlob Michael Winzer, Johann David Bauer, Johanna Margarete Pfeil's son. I love that one. He doesn't even say the name of the son. He just says Johanna Margarete Pfeil's son. Then we have Gottlob Ernst Hausius, Wilhelm Ludwig's son, Friedrich Wilhelm, Johann Gottlieb Zeimar, Johann Gottfried Berger, Johann Gottfried Eschner, Salomon Gottfried Kreulich, and Michael Heinrich Kittler of Pretten. I apologize for my pronunciation, but yes, those 11 names read like the list of those who did not make the team. Those are the 11 boys that Bach said have no musical accomplishments. And then there are a few amendments by Bach. He writes of another boy aged 14 years old who has a fine voice and a passable proficiency. And then he writes of a tenor named Johann Christoph Schmid of Mendelben, aged 19 years old, has a fairly strong tenor voice and hits the notes very prettily. Then in one further exhibit, in document number 144, he writes out how he's going to organize the four choirs in Leipzig. And what I find really fascinating is that there's only three singers to a part. So he writes, at St. Nicholas's, the first choir require, the first choir requires, huh, that's interesting, the choir requires three sopranos, three altos, three tenors, and three basses. And this is equivalent for all of the choirs at St. Thomas, at the New Church, the third choir. And then only in the fourth choir do you have an even smaller choir of just eight singers, two sopranos, two altos, two tenors, and two basses. And he writes, and this last choir must also take care of St. Peter's. Now that's just wonderful to think about, that these were the size choirs that Bach was working with around 1729. Indeed, this is the sound that one would have heard in Bach's day. And when you compare it to a lot of the large choirs that slog their way through the B minor mass, for example, I was in, once invited to sing in the choir of a B minor mass performance, and I was one of, I don't know, 25 basses. I mean, just the basses alone were double the size of the entire choir in Bach's day. And that's all for this episode. Also in this book, is the very first biography of Bach by Forkel, written in 1802, or I should say published in 1802. And that is such a wonderful book that I feel I should read some of it to you. I'm not going to do it here in this episode because there's no music being discussed in this episode, so I'll leave it short. But if you like this sort of thing, if you like these new Bach reader excerpts, let me know about it, and I'll include some more in the future episodes. And I hope that you felt this was a nice change from the last two episodes, since they dealt with computers and music, and this episode dealt with humans and their words. And in this book, The New Bach Reader, there are hundreds of these. There are 412 of these, to be exact, in this 1998 edition. 412 documents that deal directly with Bach, either from him or from people who dealt directly with him. It's just a fascinating thing to pick up and open to a random page. So, for the future episodes, the next, or perhaps the episode Two episodes from now will be a listener's choice 
as I did in season one. So send me your pieces you want me to speak about. I've been keeping a list for a year or so, and I've decided to approach some of these pieces that you've suggested. So if you want yours thrown into the mix, write me bach at wtfbach.com, and I'll see what I can do about it. Thanks always for your donations, your emails, your Instagram direct messages, everything that keeps this podcast afloat, alive, anew, afresh, and other adjectives starting with A. This is WTF Bach. Duh! Like, what is this? Thank you for listening. Do you want a specific piece of Bach analyzed by Evan just for you? Send us a donation on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Bach. Write us at wtfbach.com.
Allemande.